talking about how important it is to not neglect yourself, neglect your own health, whether it's mental or physical, irrespective of what's going on in your life. To get ahead is just keep moving. You just have to fight. Moonshots can literally change the trajectory of your business and your life overnight. What I measure success on is impact. Hi, I am Tatiana Pandurovic and welcome to Moonshot, a space where comfort zones don't exist. Having spent most of my life scared to take risks, the one thing I am seeking now is to be surrounded by more people who are courageous, bold, unafraid and relentless in their pursuit for success to help inspire me and hopefully you. In this podcast, we dive deep into the minds of individuals who see no limits, those who dream big and defy boundaries. Let's rise together. Olivia Carr is founder and chief giving officer of the multi-million dollar global brand, Shh Silk. She's one of Australia's most successful small business entrepreneurs and has recently published her new book, Self Made, where she reflects on her own life, from her greatest triumphs and her biggest failures, to empower women at every stage in their business journey. Olivia is a no-secrets entrepreneur, a philanthropist and a social change maker. After becoming a young single mother at age 19, Olivia defied the odds to become a globally successful entrepreneur with her premium silk brand trusted by the likes of the Kardashians, Selena Gomez and Tom Brady, just to name a few. Despite this success, Olivia's journey wasn't without years of personal struggle. A decade of financial hardship, a fight for an opportunity in the business world, and a personal battle with anxiety. Today, Olivia is passionate about mentoring other women in business and has forged a brand synonymous with giving back, inspiring people, and changing lives. If you're looking for a dose of inspiration, a blueprint for business success, or simply a story that reaffirms the power of resilience, this episode with Olivia Carr is an absolute must-listen. Olivia, it's great to have you on the Moonshot podcast and a big congratulations on the recent launch of your book, Self Made. I read it over the weekend and loved how honest you were in sharing all the ups and downs in your story, as well as the advice you offer throughout the book for other entrepreneurs. Where did the inspiration for the book come from? Yeah, I mean, firstly, thank you so much. I don't take anyone's time for granted. And I think the biggest gift um, that a reader can give themselves is the time to read the book. So I'm really grateful that you chose to do that. Uh, the inspiration, I mean, it's a big story. You read the book. Uh, it's been, I feel like I've already lived four lives in 42 years. So there was a lot there. Um, there was actually eight chapters that got removed from the book. So there was a lot more to the story that I kind of could have gone into. The inspiration to physically write the book, though, actually came because Wiley, um, the publisher, actually approached me after hearing about my story. A book had been something that was on my bucket list since I was 25. I was like, I think I have a book in me. I think everybody's got a book in them. I think storytelling is one of the greatest, I don't know, abilities that we can use to share with others to inspire hope and all the things. Um, So when they asked me, I was like, oh, my God, that sounds so fun. Disclaimer to anyone listening, I I hugely encourage people to write a book, but it is um, there's elements of fun, but it's a lot of work. Uh, it, It created... 
I shared very openly on my Instagram along the way, it created a lot of deep inner work and healing work that I, I'm still on now, to be honest, and 37 sessions of therapy since starting the book in November 2022. So it's a lot. Um, but the inspiration, truthfully, the answer to that is that I was asked and offered and I feel very privileged for that. And that's probably why I did take it so seriously because it is a gift um, to be able to, I guess, put your story out into the world. That's incredible. And the fact that you also managed to do that while still managing your brand, how did you find the time? How did you get that balance working? Oh, definitely no balance. Um, and I talk a lot about the importance of balance in my book. Um, and I'm also in a season of life now, having come out of the book, um, that I'm realizing that, I mean, this, this is the thing with the book, right? The minute you put it out, we grow and evolve daily. And whilst there's a lot of principles, I think, in the book that you know, are timeless. Me as a person, I'm constantly evolving and there's things that I kind of get on my Instagram now and I'm like, I know I'm an advocate for like balance and, you know, flow and all the things. But the reality is, is that balance is a reward for effort. And there are different periods in life where you get more time for balance. And then there's periods now where I'm playing catch up because it was hard. Um, You know, writing a book, I stepped away from the business for just close to eight months last year to write the book. And there are parts of that that I'm I'm now having to kind of dig deeper to fill those gaps or to work harder or to, you know, and I was very fortunate the team here are incredible. Um, so I had the support of them. There was, truthfully, the answer is that there just wasn't balance, that there wasn't, yeah. Everything has a cost and a trade-off. And I guess when you say yes to something, you also say no to other things. I think, and from talking to a lot of entrepreneurs, the key is just being deliberate in understanding what you put a hold on when you choose one thing over another has been really important to also be kind to yourself mm-hmm. as you pursue things that are outside everything else that you might be doing with your brand. Yeah, absolutely. And my only, I guess, caveat to that is the one thing I refuse, well, there's two actually, two things I refuse to give up now um, just because of my own mental health journey through my entrepreneurial journey is therapy for anyone struggling with any sort of form of mental health or just feeling a little flat. I just think therapy, if, if you're able to access it, is a non-negotiable. And the second thing is physical, physical activity, whatever that is, whether it's out just walking in the park. Um, for me, it doesn't matter how busy my schedule is, I will, those are things that I just will not sacrifice because I let those, both those things go at the beginning of my journey and it led to burnout and that's how I ended up with anxiety. So I'm a, a huge advocate now for, I guess, talking about how important it is to not neglect yourself. Um, And that's that whole self-love piece that, you know, you can be busy and there are times where you have to work harder than ever, but you cannot neglect your own health, um, whether it's mental or physical, irrespective of what's going on in your life. Couldn't agree more. Some really important lessons. Early in the book, you also talk about sliding door moments and that the easy path is not always the best path to take. One of those moments for you was choosing to become a mum, a first-time mum, when you had just been accepted into NIDA and had, and had to put a hold on your dream of pursuing acting, what was this time in your life like? Oh, gosh. You know, it was nearly 23 years ago, um, but in a lot of ways it's still so fresh. And I think, again, because I've been reliving a lot of this through writing the book, it still feels very fresh in my mind. Um, I want to start by saying that my daughter genuinely is and has been the best thing that's ever happened in my life. But I'd be lying if I said that that also didn't come with some of the greatest challenges and adversities that I've ever faced. Uh, And the first being, you know, 
postnatal depression, to be honest, that 23 years ago really was never spoken about. It's not something that was widely known. Um, it's certainly something that, you know, it was actually a podcast interview a few years ago where we were sort of chatting about my journey as an early mum. And I literally broke down crying and I was like, wow, I think I've just realised, you know, 17 years later at the time that I had postnatal depression back then, but I couldn't identify it at the, the time. It was really challenging. I mean, I had studied acting professionally since the age of nine and I really cared about nothing else other than heading to Hollywood and, and I was very laser focused from a young age. And so to find out in that same week that I'd been accepted into the summer program for NIDA and then find out I was pregnant was, I, I don't know, traumatic is probably the right word. I don't know that I at the time felt like it was trauma. I think I was in a lot of denial, to be honest. I was probably in a lot of, in a lot of shock, just feeling as though it was happening to someone else and not me. And I was watching somebody else go through what I was going through. But despite all of that, um, I had this deep kind of inner, kind of deep in my gut, I don't know, in the core of me, that was just some inner voice telling me that that was the door I had to choose. And I knew what the sacrifice was, that I was honestly giving up my life dream um, because at that time I didn't see how I could go to Hollywood with a, you know, being a young single mum with a toddler. Like that just that just didn't make any sense to me. Um, and even despite all of that, I was like, there's something bigger. There's a bigger purpose to this and you just have to back yourself and, and believe. And that's the choice I, I took. So don't regret it. I, I mean, I have probably only one regret in my life and that's certainly not it. So, yeah. That sounds like it would have been a really tough time in your life to go through. Uh, and one of the things you just called out was things like postnatal depression weren't widely known about and they weren't widely discussed. and that would have been an, an extremely scary time in some regards as well with the emotions that you would have been dealing through. You also talk about this a lot in your book. You, you faced significant personal challenges. You went through a lot of debt, ended up being in front of a courtroom to getting to the point where you finally decided or had a turning point to start silk. How did you navigate through all of those challenges and still get to the point where you've now founded this incredibly successful company? I mean, it's firstly, I want to say it was a 14-year overnight journey. Right? I think a lot, of, a lot of times, especially now with like social media, it's really easy to get glimpses of people's lives and be like, oh, that's so weird. Like I thought that lady was struggling in her 20s. How is it that she's now got a you know, multi-million dollar global brand? And it's like, well, firstly, before I started this brand, I had, I had, I guess, had to dig deep for 14 consecutive years. So it's not like I just woke up one day and the, you know, my world changed and the stars aligned. It was a daily fight, to be honest. It, and, and I call it a fight because it was, I, I would get up every single day. And one of the things, you know, I'm 42 now. One of the things in my kind of, I don't know, my 40s in this decade of my life that I have a deep appreciation for and really want to inspire a lot of younger women in their 20s and 30s is just how much we need to really celebrate and appreciate the process of falling down, being in what I call being in the mud, so being down and stuck, and the journey to climbing out. Because I think what we all see so much is, oh, yeah, she was like in debt and she nearly went to prison. Oh, and now she's working with some of the most famous people in the world. And it's like we just gloss over the falling down, the in the mud and the getting up. And I think 
truthfully, my advice to anyone would be whether you are currently feeling like you're in that process of falling down or whether you feel like you're currently in the mud or in the quicksand or, you know, that one, you have to be in it, right? You have to accept that that's where you are right now, but you don't need to stay in it. So I think there's the acceptance piece of like, you know, and all of this I I now share in hindsight. When I was 20 going through this, I didn't have the wisdom that I have now. I just had these core innate things of resilience and determination and that's kind of what allowed me to get through the mud. But if I could try and articulate how I did things and how I turned my life around and how other people can do it now, it's one, accept where you are, but then accept that where you are today does not determine your ending, right, that your beginning is not the end. So for all the, I mean, I I speak to so many young women in particular that have got brands at the moment and it's heartbreaking. Like the DMs I get on the daily about, I woke up to one this morning where a girl I've been mentoring is about to have a baby. It's really tough in retail right now and she's terrified, right? Sales are dry. She's got debt accumulating and she's about to become a first-time mum. And truly that breaks my heart because I know that feeling that would be in her gut. And as easy it is for me to say, you know, you've just kind of got to accept where you are. To some degree, you have to kind of not fall into this, I don't know, like victim mentality in some ways, like because that keeps you stuck. Because all of us right now could say, oh, it's so tough and the economy and mortgage rates and I don't know, you could all of us, things that are going on on the other side of the world, there's so much that you could like hang on to that will only keep you stuck. So I think have a moment, get people around you that care and love for you and then say, okay, well, what can I do today? I mean, we were just chatting about this in the office. Like what can I do today to move me, whether it's move me through the mud, whether it's to kind of put one foot in front of the other. It's certainly not how did I go from 20 to, okay, I want to build a multi-million dollar brand. That's a huge leap and that's unrealistic, to be honest. Like that's maybe the norm. And I didn't even have that dream when I was going through all of this. It's not how life works. But it was honestly daily, what do I need to do today to make my life that one, like 1% better, LSKD say it so well. And, and it was just doing that every single day for 14 years. And I don't know, I, I think a lot of people want the quick fix and they want to know, oh, but what did you do? Or how did, a lot of people actually who've also read the book didn't really get that I had to pay every cent of that debt back. So it's not like I went to court and, you know, I, I got off. I didn't, I had to work and I had to fight, which then caused me to get a job as a general manager and I hadn't even finished high school. So I wasn't even on paper kind of, you know, qualified for the job, but I had to fight harder because I now had an enormous debt that I needed to clear. You just have to fight. You have to find that strength and you have to, and look, I still have days. I'm in a season of the business now where we're taking on some of our biggest growth ever in nine years. And I've now worked today is day 23 in a row. And that, again, if you've read the book, that's kind of against my personal DNA. I'm not big on working seven days a week anymore. And, but the reality is I'm striving for a short, shorter term goal that will require way more, I guess, effort from me. But that's not to say that I don't have moments. Like on Sunday, I was in here in the warehouse and the team were here and I burst out crying and everyone's like, are you okay? And I'm like, I will be okay. But in this exact moment, just let me have the moment. Like I, I need to release. I feel overwhelmed. It's a lot. I'm tired. I'm exhausted. And they just let me have the moment. I go and I sit in the sun and I'm like, okay, cool. Now it's back to work. Like it, it's like, it's tough love. You have to have a bit of tough love for yourself because those that care most about you, this is the thing you need to be careful of. 
they have your best interests at heart. So the first thing they're going to want to tell you is you need to take a break. Maybe you need a holiday. Maybe you need to slow down because they care. They want the best for you. But if you really want to create a big life for yourself, yes, it's important to nurture and self-love and all the things. But you also need to realize that you kind of need to roll your sleeves up and do what it takes. Like, yes, have moments of rest, but then you have to get on with it. Otherwise, that's you're probably not going to get yourself out of the situation that you're in or you're not going to achieve the big thing that you're going for. There was so much in that. I'm really glad you called out just the time it took and the journey that it was to get to where you are today because so often, and you said it perfectly, social media glorifies the culture of, of the concept of overnight success, which takes away the work, the journey and everything that goes into getting to that point where you see people like yourself that do have these amazing successes. The idea of balance that you talked about, but also kind of at the end there, the moments that you have and that they're also phases. Mm. Like you get through them, everyone goes through them and no one ever gets past that point where you're living in this dream state either, but it's okay. That was uh, yeah, absolutely incredible. Thank you for sharing. And you've just got me thinking about something that I thought when I just put your book down. Not just the persistence, but the word that came to mind when I finished reading the book was your resilience throughout life. Where did that come from? Did you always have a strong sense of resilience despite all the setbacks, despite all the downs? Where did that resilience come from? Yeah. I mean, there's probably two words that over my career, even outside of my own role, that I've probably been labelled the most by peers or bosses and tenacity is one of them and resilience is another. They are things you can learn. I'll start by saying that. I don't think I, no one taught me them, but I do know, again, you would have read this in the book, I grew up in a household that, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't a fairy tale, right? My childhood was not a fairy tale. I think all of us have our own stories around that too. I don't think anyone had the perfect childhood, no matter how beautiful your parents were and how much love there was. Um, I certainly have a lot of love from my parents, but the household itself wasn't a loving house. I grew up in a domestic violence household and um, my father was an alcoholic and he's Scottish, so he's born in the 40s, very hard kind of man. And I'm in a lot of ways, there's a lot of, I want to say there's a lot of his good character. Like my dad has dementia now, he lives in a home and I now care for him, which is a, another interesting part of the story is, you know, how did I come to be? And that's the whole thing about forgiveness. But there's a lot of things that I can now reflect back and I'm like, you know what, if we take all of the darkness away from my childhood, there's some important characteristics that both of my parents taught me. And one of them was one, work ethic. They've always worked really hard. But two was like this inner strength that's just, I don't know if that is resilience or I don't know. I think for me from my earliest childhood memories would be about four or five. And I just remember that I was always alone a lot of the time. My parents weren't active in, in the household in regards to parenting because they had other things going on. So did that teach me to be resilient? It certainly taught me to be super independent. It taught me to be very resourceful. I had to create my own money from about the age of five. If I wanted a lolly from the lolly shop, if I wanted an ice cream from Mr. Whippy or whatever the things were back in the day, like, I had to work out, well, how am I going to get an ice cream? And, you know, there were so many things along my journey as a kid where I'm like, okay, I can put flowers in juice bottles with water and sell them for $3. And in the 80s, $3 for flower water to your neighbours is 
probably the equivalent of about $15 today. So, you know, but I think what that was is they saw this kid that had this spirit that like, wow, she's really trying hard to, I guess, hustle in a lot of ways. So there's a mixture of like just, I don't know, that there's so many blessings to my childhood as well. You could look at it and say, wow, that's really sad that you experienced that. But I'm like, on the flip side to that, I guess the beauty or the silver lining of growing up in that type of environment is I learnt to survive on my own from a young age. And that's why now, like, no matter what I'm faced in life, I think if you would, if my team were here and, and you asked them what they probably admire most about me, it's just my willingness to never give up. No matter the size of the challenge, no matter the size of the adversity, I mean, we're going through some enormous things at work right now that are both exhilarating and to other people probably quite terrifying. But I, I don't know, I just back myself. And I think, honestly, the only thing you need to do in life to get ahead is just keep moving. Just don't stay still. Like whether that's mentally, whether it's physically, whether it's financially, whether it's, I don't know, just keep moving. That is a form of resilience. Like it's just this determination to just not give up. You're, you're very inspiring. I'm listening to you and I point to your, as you as you're sharing your own story, I'm getting goosebumps listening to you. It's uh, absolutely incredible. And that definitely has, it was just a common thread. And it was just that one word that was really stuck in my mind. I was like, okay, I've got to share this with you. When I have this conversation, where did the idea for Silk come from? Yeah. Well, I'll answer that. And before I answer that, I do actually want to share something in truth with you. Um, I do get asked to go on a lot of podcasts and I have someone that books it in, books in my time for me because time is our most precious, I guess, commodity. I looked you up. I have no idea how old you are. I truthfully don't know anything about your background, but something about you, I thought you had a spirit that reminded me a lot of myself, right? And I was like, wow, this is a, a younger girl who's got a dream. This, is, this was what I, went through my mind. Here's a younger girl who's got a dream. She's clearly working hard to build something. I absolutely need to meet her. So I just want to give you that feedback that whatever you're doing, never give up, back yourself, be brave, invite guests that you're too scared to ask on your show, just go for it, do whatever it takes. And anyway, that's just something that I I wanted to share with you. Thank you so much. I I appreciate that more than you could possibly know. And I really would prefer that didn't get edited out, to be honest. I think it's important um, that other guests hear this and and spread the love for you because I think what you're doing is amazing. So good on you. Um, And how and why? Again, that was a bit of a simple kind of one of those moments where it's not like a there's nothing really hard about the story. I was working as a general manager for Pacific Brands. They own brands like Champion, Sheridan, Bonds and, and the likes. And I was starting to discover the world of e-commerce because that was part of my role at the time back in kind of 2014. And I decided to leave in 2015 to start my own business because I really believed in e-commerce. It was something that, again, not a lot of brands were doing well back then. And there was a lot of very cool brands starting to do some cool stuff. So I went to America with my kids for five weeks, the kind of land of opportunity. And I had an idea to start a technology business while I was there, but it just so happened the first night, my silk pillowcase that I'd had for like 10 years got taken off the next morning with the housekeeping. And the next day I was like, oh, like I couldn't get it back because it was gone. They'd sent it away. And I was like, oh, that's really annoying. I've got to go and spend a hundred dollars to replace it. And I actually couldn't find one. So in 2015, there weren't, you really couldn't find a silk pillowcase in the stores. That's very different to today, um, which is amazing. The industry and the kind of whole beauty landscape has changed so much. But I got home and I was like, I was still exploring this technology product. I wasn't super passionate about it. 
at the same time I was Googling, okay, if I'm going to replace this pillowcase, I just want a hidden zip, like a little hidden zipper because all the pillowcases that existed at the time didn't have one. And silk does fall off your pillowcase if you don't have a zip, which is, again, defeats the purpose of sleeping on them. And it was literally at that moment I was like, huh, they don't exist. Could I make one for myself? How hard would that be? Which then sent me down the path of finding out everything about silk. And three days later, I found myself traveling around Asia, learning everything about the whole silk industry, how it's harvested the whole thing. And within three months, I'd launched the business. So that's kind of how I did it. And I think one of the things that's important for anyone to hear on your podcast is that I tried really hard in my book to share exactly what those things were that I did in that three months. Because one, I will say three months is too fast. Uh, That's the biggest learning. I don't think you need to be fast anymore. I actually believe that you should take more of a kind of a steady, conscious decision when launching a brand. But even still, the checklists I've tried to put in there, where you go for things, how you even start something. I've honestly tried to pour everything that I've done into that book in, you know, because mentoring is expensive and people don't have mentors. And it's like, if I can give you anything for $30, it's how do you genuinely start a brand and what are the things I did and what would my advice be now? So yeah, whilst I've just glossed over a lot, there are a lot of kind of tips in there that people can grab. Oh, and and I think people should definitely, definitely read. You said that three months was too fast for our listeners that will be hearing this show. Why is three months too fast to start a brand? I think it's too fast because one, it's not necessary. Whereas at the time I, I left my job. So I'd, I'd quit my job. So for me, it was a financial, the speed was like, okay, I had six months worth of earnings to kind of fund myself. So that's why I did it. My recommendation now would be that, I mean, I say this and like, I say it with the most utmost respect because I also have employees and I'd love them to do the same thing. You should use your current employees' money almost as if they're your first investors that are investing in your new brand because that's the dream, right? It's like if you can hold on to your job as long as possible, and in this case, let's say I was still working for specific brands, that money that I was getting from them, amazing. They're now helping to invest or fund. The second you turn the tap off from an employer, you are now fully self-funding your dream and there's a lot of pressure on you to try and kind of the easy part is actually starting a business and creating a a product. The hardest part and the most constant, you cannot take your foot off the pedal, is getting a sale. You can create the most amazing product in the world. You can have the most amazing looking website. But what often happens is, okay, the, the lights are on. Where are the customers? And I think people underestimate how expensive that is and how much thought needs to really go into building out a solid plan. And I didn't. Uh, I didn't have a marketing plan. I didn't have, knew nothing about digital marketing. I had no strategy. I, lucky for me, I do some, love nothing more than doing crazy PR stunts. So I had some big grand ideas, but if they didn't, if they didn't land or if, you know, if I didn't pull them off and not everyone can do that, right? Not everyone has my type of personality or the bravery that I seem to have where they won't do things like that. Most people starting a brand would follow the traditional way. And I think if you took a little bit more time, you could actually sit there and ask yourself the question of what I would always start with is what does 10 years look like? What are you really building? And that's where you need to be brave. You need to be, because you, in my case, I'll take an example where we've lost some of the biggest deals uh, in the last few years because of the fact that at the beginning, I didn't even imagine 
that a global beauty retailer would would stock our product. It just hadn't, I hadn't stopped to think, well, what's my tenure? Where do I really want to go with this? Had I have done that, I would have known what my pricing model should have been. So therefore, when that beauty retailer taps us on the door and says, hey, there's space for you to come in, the metrics would have worked. Now, let me tell you, there's nothing worse than, uh, I think it was the end of 2022 when, you know, you're turning down $6 million orders because you're not actually going to make money on it because you don't have the margin. And that comes from mistakes or things missed in the very early days that I would never do today. And that's the type of thing that I think time and being a bit more, you know, I'm, I'm big into marketing and I have the big crazy ideas and that's amazing and will take your brand far. But if you're starting on your own, you also need to take a more logical kind of process approach to building a business because as you've read in the book, I also didn't make money in the first yeah. four years, right? And that's, there's some of the reasons why I wouldn't do fast. I would do slow, conscious, considered, sustainable, you know, at what point, how many products do I need to sell to make money? Like all the stuff that is deemed kind of boring is actually the most fundamental part of actually making money, which is, yeah, I imagine why we all start in the first place if we're brave enough to say that. No, absolutely. And I think there's some really important lessons that you share and I'd love to get into them uh, in just a few moments. But that big moment that really launched you, the title of my show is Moonshot. Maybe if I take a step back and I often ask guests which ambitious, often, often seemingly out of reach goals do the entrepreneurs, athletes or leaders that join my show that they strive for without having a view on whether they'll be successful at all? What was one of those moments for you with Silk? I mean, the biggest moonshot would be uh, January 2016 when I literally, so I was three months into the brand and I purchased a ticket on Qantas and flew to LA with a big audacious dream or goal that everybody thought I was absolutely nuts uh, to even attempt. And it was to go and hand deliver some silk pillowcases to Kris Jenner at what I thought would be her work residence because I had her work address. And then as I share in the book, uh, when I landed, I didn't realize it was actually her residence and they lived in a gated community. And luckily I was able to actually get into the community. I said I had a meeting and, you know, I left a four-page handwritten letter Nine years later, I still have a close, intimate relationship with that family. I, I have uh, instant access to two of them. They still request our PJs. Like Chris will often say, hey, I've got my girlfriend's coming to Palm Springs. Like we're still working closely with the family. That was the moonshot. It did pay off. We started working with Kim firstly um, back in 2016 when the girls used to have their apps and websites, which don't exist anymore. So this is a moonshot that you probably can't replicate anymore, but the the concept of just dreaming big and having a go because at the end of the day, what was the worst that could happen? Nothing. Like just try again, try something else. Um, Often I think my interpretation of Moonshot is, I mean, I'm doing one at the moment with Richard Branson. You know, nine years in, I've I've got the Richard Branson challenge going on on LinkedIn where before International Women's Day I will, I've met him once in the lounge and I'm trying to do a talk and talk with him, some storytelling on his new Voyager. That's a moonshot. If it doesn't oh, wow, that would be incredible. Yeah, if it doesn't happen, who cares? Like it's a bit of fun. Like have fun with it. I think moonshots can literally change the trajectory of your business and your life overnight, but you have to be brave enough to even dare to go for it in the first place. And I think for me that's one of the things. It's not about whether it does or doesn't work. It's are you actually willing to have a go? That's ultimately 
that's all that matters. Like, just have a go. Like, none of us know what things are going to land, what will work, what won't work. And to me, even the Richard Branson thing, it's not so much whether I even get on the ship. It's I'm I'm inspiring other leaders on LinkedIn right now. What things can they go for that they may be sitting back and being too scared to do? That's what it's really about. It's about inspiring all of us to just have some fun and, I don't know, enjoy the crazy ride along the way. Do you have any uncertainty or fear? Because one of the things that really holds lots of people back is is that exact fear of failure, yeah. of things not working out, of crazy those. And they're not, they don't even necessarily need to be crazy shots at big goals, but that fear of failure, holding people back and limiting them in many different pursuits. Do you have that fear? I actually, strangely enough, even hearing you say that, I think I would have it more if I didn't take the shot, right? It's like not going for it actually scares me more because then I'm playing small and like, I don't want to live a small life. And to me, it's not even a, when I talk about like the front cover of my book says build a big life, you've read the book. It's actually not at all about finances. It's about impact. It's about all the things, purpose, whatever. But playing small is just playing small scares me. Being comfortable for too long scares me because my number one like value in life is growth. And the only way to grow is to get uncomfortable. So am I fearless? Absolutely not. I have fear almost on the daily. But if you use fear in the right way, it can, it can actually make you, I'm reading a book at the moment called Big Magic and it's like just get curious, just be as creative as you can, just it's not about not having fear. I do have fear but I guess I use that to fuel. Like movement is probably the best thing. If you keep moving, it actually will help overcome the fear. Like if you're scared of failure, there's so much, like that's a whole podcast in itself. That's really, you've got to get deep with what is it that you're really scared of. And if it's, you're scared of really what will people think if it doesn't happen, like that comes back to probably ego. There's a whole thing about ego, like is a whole chapter that I think everybody needs to read. It's like, I don't know, if you are scared, like that's, there's a lot of people that would be scared to have a go. There's a lot of people that'd be scared to pick up the phone and call someone and ask for something or there's a lot of people who'd be scared to start a podcast a lot of people would be scared to go on a podcast I think you've got to do the work as to why are you scared what is that really about and that's again what I love about my book is it's really not just a business book it's before you can take the shot there's a whole lot of mental work you need to do on your own mindset and that's why truthfully when I sat with Wiley they usually just do very traditional business here's your six steps go and do that and my thing to the publishers were that's all well and good. But if somebody's struggling with self-doubt, if somebody's got imposter syndrome, you can give them all the books in the world. They're crippled by their own kind of fear. They can't, they can't do it. So we need to have a book that talks to them about well, what's the work we need to do first to then be able to execute the plan. And I think there's a whole, like self-learning should be a lifelong journey as well. And that will help you with the fear. Yeah, and something you include in your book throughout, you've got these practical tips and activities for people to actually engage in and try out as they're going through the book and they're going through all the different chapters. Do you have a favourite tip or activity if you had to pick one to share? That's a good question. You know, no one's asked me that. I guess my favourite tip, I've said it a few times in here, is there's, there really are no secrets. Like there is no secret to success. But if I was to say what's the one thing that has impacted my life time and time again for the better in 
so many different areas. It's daily action. It's like consistent daily action, which actually comes back to self-discipline, which is you can't take it like you can't take the daily action. Okay, example, I go to the gym. I wanted to learn how to do pull-ups. We're not just going to start doing 30 pull-ups if you don't go to the gym consistently. You can have the goal of doing pull-ups, but like what are you going to do? I'm going to turn up to the gym every day, five days a week, and I'm going to start with a band and I'm going to do all the things and I'm just not going to give up until I get to that point. And then from there, I'll reset the goal. But I think what people don't realize is that it's the small daily actions that actually make the biggest results and choosing the right actions. So with you, with your podcast, you would have some amazing goals that you want to achieve. My thing would be just choose that one thing every single day that you know deep down that you need to do. You know what that one thing is that you maybe are not doing right now that you know you should be doing. Choose that thing. And if that's all you do for the day, that will help you get towards your goal. Yeah, it reminds me of Atomic Habits by James Clear. I'm not sure if you've read the book or heard about it, but he really does a good job in just talking about those small daily actions that compound over time. And it's so true, whether it be financial wealth, whether it be personal development, a business that someone is starting, it's a small daily actions where you don't see the immediate outputs. And you mentioned the gym examples. Even if you do wait one day, you're not going to see results. You probably won't see a lot of results after a month either. Yeah. But it's almost trusting the process, but having the actions in place so the process can actually do its thing over, over the right period of time. Yeah, absolutely. There's a lot of synergy between the gym and business, to be honest. Like a lot of synergy. Like I've, you know, I've been training religiously now for, I don't know, 14, 15 months. And it's exactly what you said. It's like, you don't see anything. In my case, I didn't see anything really for nine months. You start to feel things. um, And it's the same with business. Just believe that if you go in every day, but this is the other thing, like so many people want things, but they're not really prepared to work for it. And that, that's where I think people get a bit stuck because they're like, but I want it to happen. And it's like, then you have to work for it. Are you actually work? Like, to be so honest with yourself like are you really working for it or are you just wanting it because I think I I talk about this in the book it's like you know a dream without action is just a wish and I think a really easy way to know whether you're really working for something is just by how you prioritize yeah and if you're always prioritizing doing the thing that you want versus the thing that you need to do it is one of the simplest ways just to identify how much you genuinely Mm -hmm. want something and I mean I don't I didn't want to come into work on the weekend, if I'm honest, right? The weather in Melbourne was amazing. My son was at the beach. I'm like, I don't want to be in the warehouse when it's 35 outside and about 45 inside here. But I know that if I don't do the work right now, that getting to my goal in the time that I want to get to it, you have to choose. And that's where it comes back to your opening statement. There's always a sacrifice. And this weekend it was the beach, right? But then I think to myself, well, it's not about giving up the beach. You know, I can go to the beach for a walk this morning or I can, but in that exact moment, it's like you have, you have to make choice and life is all about choices. And I talk a lot about that as well. And it's trying to make the best choice as often as you can as well. And not the easy choice. It's actually the hard choice. Like try and make the best hard choice as often as you can. Yeah, it's, it's a great example. And I know we talked about it a little earlier on when you talked about the sliding door moments, but it was exactly that that you spoke about earlier in your book which is making those hard choices and I think you've just 
perfectly described it there. Financial literacy is also a significant theme in your book. How did developing the right education around finances, the right mindset, change the way you approach both business and your personal finance? I mean, firstly, it's life-changing. Secondly, I think we live in the best time. Um, Now I'm particularly talking to women. I think we live in the best time ever to be self-learning about finance like become a numbers nerd. Like I share in the book, numbers was just something that I just found really boring for the first kind of four to five years of my nine-year kind of business journey. I didn't appreciate the value in it. So therefore I was kind of ignorant to the, the significance that it plays. And then it was kind of during COVID that I fell across the book, The Barefoot Investor. And I was like, wow, there's kind of something in this. What I love even more now, though, is there's so many people like She's on the Money has been, I think, incredible for all the people in their 20s. Um, She's done a great job of educating. Like I know my daughter was obsessed uh, with her when she was, I don't know, during COVID. There's just so many ways now you can get access to, whether it's on TikTok, whether it's on YouTube, like people are starting to make talking about money cool and like it's like a fun thing to talk about and there's money challenges and there's all these ways that you can make money-saving buckets and people have their buckets to go to Europe for the whole of summer. And it's like, whereas kind of I grew up as a 42-year-old thinking, you know, money's hard, Um, saving is hard, you live week to week. And it was the whole kind of language around money. And that's because my parents didn't know anything about investing. They had no role models. And so I grew up where like budgets are restrictive. Let's not have a budget. That means you can't spend money. And it's just not like that. Like money is something that you need to adopt a really healthy relationship with. There's a great book. I talk about it in the book. I can't remember it now, but by a lady, I think her name's Melissa, but she talks about rewriting your money story. And that was one of the best exercises I ever went through. And and for your listeners, what that is, is you literally get a pen and paper and you write my relationship with money or my current story with money is money is hard. The economy's, you know, this, I don't get paid enough. I don't have money to do X, Y, Z. That's your current money story. And then what you do is you write your future money story. And that's hopefully what you want your relationship with money and finance to be. You know, money is abundant. Money helps me to give back to people. Money helps me to put my children, whatever it is. And it doesn't have to be real. It has to be what you want it to be. And then Every day from that day forward, you leave that next to your bed, you put it in the bathroom and you start reading that until it starts to feel real because nothing, unless you can kind of see it, you can't be it. I don't know. That sounds very Tony Robbins-ish. He probably said something like that, but I guess you need to start kind of believing that. And a lot of this kind of sounds like a bit woo-woo and all the things and like, how does it really work? I mean, I have like my desk is like full of like abundance crystals and (laughs) you know, manifest like candles. And I don't know, do these things really mean that? I'm not sure. But what it does is it keeps my mind focused on the belief that if I have a good relationship with money, or if I believe in abundance, that's what I'm focused on. Whereas if your mind is spent so much in believing in debt and believing in it's hard and struggle, that's the kind of energy that you're going to stay in. So again, really, all that comes down to his mindset right? What is your mindset around money? I love how much attention and an awareness you bring to rewriting your story, because there's definitely more of a negative taboo when it comes to money and finances. 
whether it's just not having the right education growing up around money, whether it's cultural, whether it's philosophical, there's definitely a taboo that exists that does not incentivize or encourage definitely young people to care about it. And as you were kind of sharing the tip in that response, you, you mentioned the word relationship and it really is like a relationship and like any relationship, uh, or, or even the gym example, if we take that, you've got to put the work in to understand, to be educated, to actually put yourself in a position where you think about it in the right way, which will impact your actions. And it's really important. And I still think there's so much more awareness yeah. around money and finances in general, particularly with younger generations, because similar to you, it definitely wasn't a literacy or an education that I grew up with. Yeah. And I think what's important for other founders that or people that want to start brands, it's really important for people to know going into business, there are going to probably be more financial lows than there will be financial highs. Again, that's not talked about near enough because we all hear this brand sold out in blah, 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 and they're killing it, or this brand's making 20 million in revenue. And what no one knows behind the scenes is maybe that brand isn't making profit. You know, I know at the moment there's so many brands out there that are turning over millions and millions of dollars every year and they're not making any money. And to me, that just like grates at my like my core and I'm just like, this is not helping anyone. So what I think I try again in the book, but what I really want to get across in this podcast is that when you go into business, like the lady I used the example of before that's struggling, one, to some degree that's quite normal. There are going to be seasons in business where you are going to have your cash flow is amazing and things are working and, I don't know, all the stars are aligned, the economy's strong, you've got a product that's booming, I don't know, your digital marketing's working for a minute. Things just seem to be ticking along. And for whatever reason, because that's just how the world is, there'll be times where it is quite challenging and you are going to have to try new things and things that work don't work anymore. In our case, you know, during covid we were the number one selling silk face mask. We, it was booming, right? The cash flow, it was ridiculous. It was like printing money because we had a product that the government said everyone needed, right? And it was just one of those, it was just one of those very strange, peculiar moments. We can't reenact that, right? So that, what that does is at the time, it's amazing. Coming out of that, you now have a huge hole to fill because you have a whole product category that no longer exists. So you know, then you go down again. And it's like, well, how are we going to fill that hole? And I just want other people, this I didn't share in the book, right? Because this wasn't, it hadn't happened at the time, but I came out of one of the best years of the business. And then I came into, you know, the headwinds of retail and I remortgaged my house, right? Year eight of the business, I remortgaged my house. And it's like, I could only do that because my relationship with money, one has changed where I no longer see money from fear where I have to hang on to it and go, oh my God, that's my security. And what if, and what if like, no, you can't run a business and hold on to things because one that won't work. You have to be prepared to go all in. And that's like, and I mean, one of my mentors is um, Kate from Adore Beauty. And I remember, or even Janine Ellis, I think she talks openly about this. Most founders who have been around for long enough, you know, we're nine years in, a lot of these people have been around for 20 years. At some point during that journey, and it could be year eight, nine, 10, 12, 15, you're probably going to have to put your house on the line because you're coming into one of those seasons where you're trying to grow, where you're trying to 
get to that next stage. And I just don't think people are prepared enough to know that it's not just the beginning. It's not just year one. It's if you're in this, you're in it for life. And that means that at certain times you have to go all in. And if you don't have a good relationship with money, you'll probably, your business will collapse because you won't take the risk. You will not back yourself. And so for me, I have no quiet, like when the team say, oh my God, how can you sleep at night doing that? And I'm like, because I back myself. I don't, I, I just fully believe in my dream and no one's coming to save me. So whatever it takes is, it's an, imp- it's a really important lesson because especially like knowing the female founders I deal with, no one prepares you for this. It's just like having kids. No one prepares you that when they get to seven, that they, they become you know, there's a saying in Australia, I don't want to use the wrong words, but like the smart Alex sevens, right? You know, the terrible twos and the smart Alex sevens. It's like, no one prepares you for that. It's like, well, no one prepares you for the stages of growth that you'll go through in business and the hard times. And they can be so isolating. Um, and often, you know, a lot of people feel shame around it and they think it's just happening to them. And God, that must mean that my business is failing, like failing or it's not a good business. It doesn't mean that at all. It's like a normal part of the journey and you, we need to normalise this and we need to start talking more about the profit of business and how you get the business back into profit and what did you do to go from that to that. And that's why I'm saying I remortgaged my house. I have no shame in that because if that's what it takes to then get us to that next stage, that's what people need to hear. Otherwise, they sit at home and they're like, I don't know how business is staying open right now when I'm about to lose it all. So. Yeah, anyway, I was not planning on sharing that, but you're the first one to hear that, so there you go. No, thank you for sharing. And even the way that you talk about it, you've got an incredibly healthy mindset and it just comes through because any one of those examples that you've just gone through is incredibly stressful and it puts a lot of pressure on people and I don't. I, I think you're absolutely right. I don't think people realise the risk involved. Mm-hmm in really growing and launching the successful business that you might see in the media as doing it exceptionally well, but just really what goes behind that. And not that it's a terrible thing, but the way you talk about it is incredibly refreshing. Yeah. As you know, it's a normal thing. It's something that happens as part of the scale and lean into it. But again, I think you can do that because you've got this really healthy, again, relationship with your finances. And I mean, to the brands out there, like one of the things that um, I also don't think it's enough kind of airtime out there to help other founders is what about when the stage, when the right time to bring investors is into your brand? In my experience, and this is just my opinion, investors will probably be more enticed into supporting you when they can see how, how much you're prepared to back yourself. But if you've got a business that has potential, but you're kind of still sitting back you haven't really put much skin in the game. You're still sitting quite comfortably. You're holding on to all your assets. There's not many investors that are probably going to back you because you're not all in yourself. So I think that's how I view things. It's like if you want other people to believe in your dream, well, you better believe in it first. And the best way to show anyone is to really back yourself and go all in. So that's my two cents on that. An incredibly important lesson. You've also talked a lot about giving back as a central part of your philosophy and very early on you did this with Shoe Silk as well. How do you incorporate philanthropy into your business model and what impact has this had? Yeah, so I think the best thing there is we probably we don't incorporate it. It, kind of, it is who we are. So our tagline at Shoe Silk is doing good is in our DNA. 
So that's been there since day one. It was there in the four-page letter that I dropped off on Chris Jenner's doorstep. It is who I am as a person. So um, there's been many moments in my life that have impacted me in amazing, positive ways. My best friend when I was 21, her mum passed away from breast cancer. I then went on to kind of work in the research world for breast cancer, getting money and funds and kind of just seeing the impact that doing amazing, meaningful work actually has in the community. I started this brand, one, because I needed a pillowcase, but two, why did I turn it into a brand? It really was, it all started to be able to, to do good in the world because my, again, my personal values on this is if you just start a brand to make money, very soon, if you're a good human with good morals, very soon in that kind of journey, you'll realize that that kind of lacks a lot of substance because I don't know, you can have all the money in the world, but what's the meaning behind it? There's only so many cars you can own. There's only so many super yachts you can own. To me, it's like, well, what I measure success on is impact. And that can be as simple as paying for a random stranger's groceries in front of me at the supermarket. Or Christmas Eve this year, this is a true story and typo, seeing a lady have to choose between two gifts for her daughter and me just paying for the other one without her even knowing I was going to do that. And that's outside of the brand. That's just my personal, my personal DNA. So I would say that that makes the hard days easy because when I'm having days where I'm like, oh, gosh, this is hard, the best thing you can do when you're not feeling good is do something for others, like step into service. And if you have a brand where that's why we exist, it's not saying that, that it's not hard here, but it makes it so much easier to not want to give up because if I give up, it's like, well, the, the impact is gone and that would literally rip the soul out of the brand. You've got an underlying purpose that you're ultimately really connected to. And you can tell, I know for anyone that hasn't read the book, um, something that stood out for me is you started giving back and you weren't even promoting that as part of your brand. Mm. Uh, And so it really is a testament to it, who you are as a personal ethos, but also what you've carried through in your brand, which is absolutely incredible. You have done a lot and you're doing a lot. Do you have any productivity hack what does a day in the life of Olivia Carl look like I mean I could show you my diary it's pretty nuts um I'm a big note taker in terms of I mean I I share a good hack in the book so it's like the air thing so anytime I'm listening to someone whether I'm at a conference whether I'm listening to a podcast if I'm watching something on TED I always take notes and A means some if I take a note and I put an A next to it that means I need to go away and action it they're the most important things because like Let's say you, I don't know, someone listens to this podcast as an example. They should be taking notes the whole time. And then anything that they want to go away in action, they put an A next to. And then I is an idea. So they might be like, oh my God, that's just giving me a great idea. So they put an I next to it. And then R is research or read. That's just something I don't even remember where I learned that I've been doing it for probably about 20 years. And it's something that I'm obsessed with. That's a simple daily thing that it makes running your life really simple because I I don't leave until the A's are taken care of. I use reminders on my phone, um, the actual physical iPhone reminder app. It's very handy and I like have it as a widget because I think that a list is, and it's not even part of my, I love star signs, right? And list taking is not even part of my star sign. It's just part of me thinking, how can we get things done? Um, Productivity, I think one of the best things, like I said before, is we can all be really busy and we are really busy, but often it's not on the right things. Like we could all spend a whole day just reading emails. I think finding the really high payoff activities 
And often that's like one big thing in the day. And it doesn't even have to be a big thing, to be honest, but like one thing in the day that is going to actually move the needle to get you closer to your goal, whatever that is, like do that first. I, I do procrastinate. I talk about that in the book. I, I have moments where, and I've, again, maybe this is because I'm in my 40s now, but I've become really obsessed with understanding my cycle, right? And this is, there's a lot of science and books around this now that it has been proven that women, we obviously, we run on a four-week cycle. There is one particular week in our cycle where we're just not going to be as energized. Like I can even tell in my voice, I know what stage I'm at in my cycle right now. And that's the energy you're getting. Now, if I was in more the winter cycle of our moon cycle, you're still going to get the same answers, but the energy is probably going to be different. So I now try and do my, what I say, like my hunting work, my gathering work, where I'm trying to like, I don't know, capture new leads, start new partnerships in the two kind of phases of my cycle that are most supportive for productive and for productivity. I'm probably not going to book the most important sales meetings if I can avoid it during the week of my bleed, right? That's the week that you should really be kind of nurturing your energy levels. It's like, I don't know, your body's like, so there's that. It's like, and to the men listening, like you should research this because it's fascinating if you have daughters or sisters or mums or people in the workplace. I would love to see a world where workplaces get more in tune with this, where they actually start to identify that, you know, men run on a 24-hour cycle. That's why they can do the same thing. They can go to the gym at the same time every day. They can, we literally are like the moon. And I think productivity is greatly linked to that. And I don't know, I encourage people listening to this to actually, if you're female or you identify as female, go and go and research this. I couldn't agree more and i think it is a topic that definitely needs more investment it's kind of like the concept of not managing time but managing energy Mm -hmm. and so that might look different if if you are female for exactly that reason which is your energy levels will typically fluctuate a lot more and you're obviously a lot more researched than i am but i was i think i heard this the first time on a podcast a couple of weeks ago actually and just the impact that it has and the type of activities you should do, again, to manage energy and not time because that's how you're going to get the most output and be the most built. And I learned the most about this writing the book because I was having to write daily. I wrote for 187 days straight and I felt it. Every time that week came around, I was like, it was like dragging myself literally through the mud to just get the words out. They just didn't flow. They just, and I was like, oh, it's painful. So like, you know, maybe they're the weeks you do allow more balance and rest into your life or you, I don't know, you just find I work hard but I also know when where my limits are and when I need to kind of slow down. Like, okay, go back to the gym. I will never do a leg day during my bleed. It's just <laughs> great insight. I do, right? It's just respect your body at all costs and I think that comes to productivity as well. Don't try and smash out a 2,000-page blog post on day two they just don't do it right just it's probably not the exactly the right moment yeah. to do it um and that's okay yeah there we go we took a turn there final this <laughs> uh, a great topic though and i really hope there's um there's a lot more attention and light brought to the topic um and, and the reason why i'm really passionate about this in particular is i recently launched mall australia a brand for menstrual lingerie in Australia, which is a much more healthier alternative to menstrual care. And the entire topic of female health has 
like, and, and we spoke about it a little earlier with postnatal depression, there has not been enough awareness, enough conversation in society in general across any area of women's health. So I'm definitely very passionate about it. I definitely did not know as much as you just shared around the cycle yeah. um, impact. But the first time I even heard about it was a couple of weeks ago on a podcast. So it kind of just goes to show it's not extremely public knowledge or something that is, is common knowledge. I think that's the right word. Final question. If you had to give your 20-year-old self one piece of advice, what would it be? That one I do know the answer to. Definitely be kinder to, to myself. Our worst critics are often ourselves. Uh, Melissa Ambrosini is a great author and she has a book, um, Your Inner Mean Girl, I think it's called. She's also based in Noosa. I'm just becoming more aware of that, that voice in my head. I think the voice has always been there, but as I was younger, I just was able to like turn it down a lot easier or my other voice was maybe a lot, a lot stronger. I've noticed that the older I get, that voice can become louder. And so now I have to consciously turn the voice down. And that voice really is the self-doubt. You know, it's, I think there's, there's also studies on this. The older you get, the less likely you are to take risks because you have more to lose. You know, you have children, you have a house, you have a marriage, you have more responsibility. So that's potentially why. But I'm like, it just, just don't. Dull it down. It, it does become harder, but I think be kinder to yourself because you have to be your own cheerleader. Like, and ultimately, you should only care about being your own cheerleader. We're not really here to impress others. We're here to see what we can do, what we can achieve, what we can give back. Yeah, less comparison, more kindness. Olivia, thank you so much for joining the Moonshot podcast. You have shared an absolute wealth of knowledge. You're incredibly inspiring. You really have shared so many things just during this conversation where I was, I was really getting goosebumps. I was like, wow, this uh, resonates with me and I really hope it resonates with our listeners. Good luck with everything that you're doing with Silk and I could not wish you the most success with anything or any other pursuits that you continue to delve into. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Moonshot. If you felt inspired today and are curious about taking your own personal growth to the next level, check out my performance coaching website at leadwithtatiana.com. For more insights, stories and behind the scenes content, follow me on Instagram at tatiana.moonshot. And if you have guest suggestions or topics you'd like explored, send me a DM. I'd love to hear from you. See you soon for another inspiring conversation that might just be the catalyst to the growth you've been seeking.